So we've been going through a series in the Psalms this summer uh, and looking at Psalms from different books. Last week we actually finished up the last book in the book of Psalms, book 5, with Psalm 119. To finish up the summer, what I did is I picked two more Psalms that were personally um, powerful to me, ones that have really meant a lot to me in my life. And the one next week is going to be um, helpfully tailored also to things that kids, when the kids are in here next week, stuff that they need to make sure they know too. And so Psalm 121 is one of those, and um, I love that the words it has to say here. Growing up in Tuscaloosa, as you can imagine, um, being a kid and having a tornado watch was not uncommon, just like it is here. The same line of tornadoes that goes through here goes straight through Tuscaloosa. And so I, I was familiar with going into the hallways in my schools whenever there's a tornado warning. Did that lots of times. Was familiar by getting woken up in the middle of the night to go hide in the closet. Did that lots of times. But growing up, I never remember being anxious or worried when there was a tornado watch. And this is why. It would be at night, and then we'd be sleeping, and it seems like they always come at night, doesn't it? And I would be woken up, because there'd be a huge thunder boom, enough to jar me awake. And I'll say, okay, man, I'm thirsty. I need to go get me some water. So I'll get out of my bed, I'll walk into the kitchen. As I'm walking to the kitchen, I'll pass the living room. And there would be my dad, wide awake, watching James Spann on ABC. That's why I was never worried or never concerned when there was a tornado watch, because I knew that even when I was sleeping, there was somebody watching over me the whole entire time. And that gave me a sense of security. And that sense of security is something that we all need in our lives. You know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, and it's not just tornadoes. Our life is like a journey, and you'd have to be foolish to think that journeys are easy, and you don't have to realize they have to live long that realize that there's a lot of bumps that can come on the way. We have all kinds of stuff that can come up. And I thought about making a list of stuff that could come up, but I don't think that's necessary. Because, to be honest, when I talk to people, it's rare to find somebody who just naturally is never worried or fearful of anything. In fact, most of us are probably more like the psalmist here in 121, and you have something today that's making you anxious, something today that's making you afraid or making you worried. And that's where Psalm 121, for me personally, and hopefully for you, can be such a big help. Psalm 121, the superscript says that it's a song of ascents. This is a group of psalms in the end, near the end of the book. And what it is is people who are traveling and journeying to Jerusalem, they would sing and pray these psalms as they journey. The city of Jerusalem is on top of a hill and is surrounded by hills. And then, of course, the temple is on the Temple Mount, which is the biggest hill in Jerusalem itself. And so whenever you're traveling to Jerusalem or the temple, you're always going up. Every road led up, and that's why it's called a song of ascent. And this road was dangerous. You had bad weather. You had animals that could attack you. You had robbers. You had things that could go wrong in your caravan. A lot of times you'd have your family with you, with kids and elderly people, and so you'd be worried about people who are kids or elderly being able to make this journey, or even if you didn't have them with you. You left them at home, you're worried because you left them at home unprotected. You say, why would anybody make this journey like that? Well, God told the Israelites 
to journey to Jerusalem at least three times a year for three of the big feasts. So the people who are journeying to Jerusalem, who are singing these psalms, are the ones that are the most obedient, the most faithful to God. And what they need is a reassurance to calm their fears while they're trying to obey God. And as I read and read 121, I can't help but think about the fact that this is a prayer I want to pray over my wife and my kids. And I think that's a legitimate way of looking at this prayer. Because the psalmist, the people who are traveling, they have their families with them or they left their families at home. And I'm sure they're thinking about them. And so that's why I titled this psalm as a prayer for your family. It's a prayer and a promise from God when things are getting tough and you're afraid about your protection. And so let's look at this psalm, Psalm 121, and let's see first the question and the problem that he encounters. And then we'll look at the three answers that are given to him, verses 3 through 8. So first let's look at the problem, this question, where does my help come from? He says, I will raise my eyes to the mountains. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Just like the song that Chris sang. So the psalmist, he likely, the one who starts the psalm is somebody who's young. Somebody who's inexperienced, hasn't traveled this path a lot. And it's been difficult on him. He's tired. He's weary. Try to feel what he felt. He's scared for his family. He's worn out from the trek. He's watching and is anxious looking around all these places. And he's been keeping his feet down, his eyes down on his feet. And then suddenly he looks up and he sees either one, the hills and mountains surrounding Jerusalem that were filled with robbers, filled with animals, filled with pagan idols. Or he looks up and sees Jerusalem itself, which if you're already tired, that's a hard road to walk. And he essentially, when he sees the hills or the mountains, whatever he sees, his heart leaps up in his chest. And he goes, where is my help going to come from? How am I going to be able to do this? Have you ever felt that way before? Have you ever been tired, inexperienced, not really knowing what you're doing? It's been tough. And then suddenly you lift your eyes and a new hill, a new mountain is standing there right in front of you. And you go, you've got to be kidding me. How am I going to do this? How am I going to continue on in my journey? Have you ever felt that way before? Mm -hmm. That's what the psalmist is like in verse 1. But he answers his own question in verse 2. And this is, he might be young and inexperienced at traveling, but he is not immature in his, his spirituality, his relationship with God. He answers and says, oh no, I know where my help's come from. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Mm-hmm. He answers his own question. He, he reassures himself from his own problems that he's having. And notice two things he says about God. The first thing he says is that he's the Lord, which is the covenant name Yahweh. He's not thinking about just any generic thought of God or or a God who's just out there. But he's saying the Lord, Yahweh, the one who knows me personally, the one whom I have a personal relationship with, Yahweh who is faithful, who is forgiving, who is loving, who is patient to his people. My help comes Yahweh, the Lord. Mm -hmm. 
And he says he's also the maker of heaven and earth. In other words, he's saying this God, this Lord who created the world can rule over the world. The one who makes the mountains is bigger than the mountains. And so he gets his eyes, he takes his eyes and he lifts them a little bit higher than those mountains to the one who made those mountains and controls those mountains. And he reassures himself with that. And as we're looking at this passage, those are, those are two things I want you to do today too. It already tells us some stuff that we can answer when it feels like we're tired and then those mountains and hills come. And the first of those is trust. And the main point is trust in the Lord, that he, uh, who's the creator, who watches over people who are his. That's the main point. Trust that the, that the Lord of creation watches over those who are his. So trust that the Lord is the Lord over creation. You know, a lot of times as Christians, we believe that God created everything, but we believe it in our head. We don't believe it in our heart. A lot of times what we need to do is, is to move our theology from what's up here to what's in here. A belief and trust, a, a confidence, a reassurance in the Lord comes from a deep theology of God as the creator and sustainer of everything. If God can create the world, he can handle your problems. If God is bigger than the mountains, what makes you think he's not, he's too big to handle what you've got going on? You have to trust the Lord as the creator. We also have to trust him as your Lord. There's a lot of people that believe a God exists and that he created everything. In fact, you might be here today and you might be listening and you've prayed to God before. God, help me. Listen to what the psalmist is saying. He's not just calling out to God, a God. He's not just calling out to the creator God. He's calling out to his God, the Lord, who has a personal relationship with him. Do you have a personal relationship with God? The Lord of creation watches over those people who are his. When we go to the New Testament, we learn more about what that means to be in a personal relationship with God. The New Testament tells us that all of us have sin, and that separated us from God. That keeps us to have, from having a relationship with God, and sin has to be dealt with before you can have a relationship with God. And so God dealt with your sin for you. The Son of God himself willingly came to earth, and he died on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave, Jesus dealt with your sin for you. He paid the penalty for your sin. So that now the way you have a relationship with God is simple. You repent of your sins, and you trust Jesus with your whole life. And the Bible says when you do that, when you repent of your sins, when you turn to Jesus as your personal Lord, your sins are forgiven, you're given eternal life, and you become a part of God's family. And while God does watch over everybody, there's a special watch care over the people that are His. So I urge you to trust the Lord of creation who watches over people who are His. If you're here today and you've never repented of your sins, if you're here today and you've never placed your personal trust in Jesus Christ alone, I beg you to do that today. Don't wait 
to another time. Don't say, I want to hear another sermon. Don't say, I, I don't want to, I want to wait to see what happens in my life. Do that today because God watches over everybody, but he especially watches over those people who are part of his family through faith in Jesus. We'll give you a chance to do that afterwards. But even as believers, we need to remember to get the theology from our head to our heart. And realize that trusting the Lord involves believing that he is the creator and sustainer of everything that's happening. And so that's what happens in verses 1 and 2. But then something interesting happens in verses 3 through 8. Because what happens in 3 through 8 is that the speaker changes. You get a new psalmist. And this guy, a lot of people think he probably was somebody who was older. Somebody who was more experienced at traveling. Somebody who kind of knew the ins and outs. And even though this first psalmist knew the right answer and had a faith he had room to grow and so this older more experienced psalmist comes along beside him and he puts his arm by him and he begins to fill out the theology that the guy said in verses 1 and 2 what a beautiful picture in this psalm of what the church is mm-hmm. of us coming next to each other and wrapping our arms around each other and helping us to encourage each other and teach each other and grow each other that's what we see in Psalm 121 that's what happens in 3 through 8 And so this older psalmist comes to us, and he says, hey, this Jesus, this Lord that you believe in, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about what's going on, a little bit more about him watching over you. So let's read what this guy says. Let's read all of verses 3 through 8. He says, he will not allow your foot to slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Behold, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your protector. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not bear down on you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time and forever. Mm-hmm. That's what the older psalmist tells this younger guy. So the first thing he tells him in verses 3 through 4, he says, Hey, this Lord that you're trusting in, this Jesus i got to tell you, he watches over those who are his. He watches over them constantly. He says he watches over them constantly. It's amazing when you read verses 3 through 8 because it seems like this older psalmist, he's so absorbed in the fact that Yahweh Lord is his guardian, is his keeper, that he doesn't even mention the problems that are ahead of him. His eyes are so focused on God, he doesn't even notice the surroundings. And in these six verses, he mentions the name, the word to keep or to watch or to protect six times. It's the same word in the Hebrew. Six times in six verses. Y'all, if the Bible uses the same word six times a row in six verses, that's probably an indication of something they want you to know. And he says, hey, the Lord, that word keep, it means to watch over, to protect, to preserve, to keep says the Lord is the one who's watching over you and then he says in 3 and 4 to watch over you constantly he says in this rough terrain that's going on and this problems that's surrounding us he says your foot is not going to slip accidentally because God doesn't sleep and he doesn't take a break Josie um, you've been with us you know that Josie broke her arm a few weeks ago and we had to wait a couple of days before she could get her cast and so those two days are tough because, as you can imagine, every time she fell, every time she bumped that arm, it hurt her a lot. 
And so we got home, and what do you think we did? We cleared the house. We got everything off the floor, anything that she could trip on. We got, we got padded stuff with blankets on things that she could fall on. We were sitting there like catchers in baseball, ready to get her at all times in case she fell down. I mean, we were on top of that girl. And she, by a miracle, only fell once. And if you've been around Josie, you know two days and only falling one time is actually a miracle. Amen. Amen. And that one time she fell, she tripped over something small. Like a pencil. And I could just, of course, she's crying and she's wailing. And I just, I just had, I remember sitting there with frustration boiling in me. Just frustration coming up. And I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. The one time I'm not standing next to her. The one time I slack off and there's a pencil on the ground. The one time that I'm not constantly watching her and she falls and hurts herself. Praise the Lord. That's not how the Lord watches us. Mm -hmm. You don't have to worry about God getting tired of watching you because God never gets tired. You don't have to worry about God getting distracted while watching you because God doesn't get distracted. You don't have to worry about God needing to take a nap or go on vacation and go to sleep because God doesn't sleep. Even when you wake up in the middle of the night because you're worried about something, guess what? God's awake in the middle of the night too, but not because he's worried, because he's watching you. We need the confidence to know that we have a Lord that's never going to mess up and never going to be unaware or never going to let anything slip through the cracks. That's the kind of watch care you get with a relationship in Jesus Christ. He watches over you constantly. For those people who are Christians, he has had your eye on you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. From the moment you said yes to Jesus, however old you were, until now, every millisecond of every day, God has been watching over you. That's the awesome God we serve. And that's why I want to beg you to trust the Lord of creation who watches over those people he is. That's why I want to beg you, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, to do that today because that's the kind of watch care he gives to his people. And those of us who are his people... We rejoice in that. We pray about that. And we need to take people aside like this older psalmist did and say, hey, let me tell you about this God who has watched over me every day of my life because he can watch over you too. So this older psalmist says, hey, let me tell you a little bit more about this Jesus. He watches over his people constantly and he watches over his people protectively. That's what he says next. Says in verses 5 and 6, The Lord is your protector, the Lord is your shield on your right hand. The sun will not bear down on you by day, nor the moon by night. Here's the deal. It's nice to know that God watches over us constantly. But if God's philosophy towards your life is a hands-off, let's just wait and see what happens, that does you no good, does it? So we need reassurance not only that God is over there watching us constantly, but the purpose of watching you is to protect you. And that's what he reassures you with next. Not only is he watching over you constantly, but his purpose is to watch over you protectively. The image is one of God being a shield, and whether the sun's heat and the sun burning is shining down on the psalmist during the day, or whatever dangers like robbers or animals are coming at night, that God is like a protective shield around him. 
On March 30, 1981, President Ronald Reagan exited the Washington Hotel at 2 o'clock, around 2 o'clock. And there were media, there were fans waiting for him to leave the hotel as he walked to his limousine. And the Secret Service had several layers of protection between the president and this group of photographers and fans, but one guy slipped through the crack named John Hinckley Jr. And he was bent on murder. Hinckley, when he saw the president walking outside, before he was able to get into his armor-plated limousine, he realized this was the one shot he was going to get. And so he began to fire off his revolver. He fired off six shots in 1.7 seconds. Mm. So what happens next is stuff like movie lore. I thought slow motion you know, scene that could play out is stuff that would be just amazing to watch in theaters. Because in 1.7 seconds, this is what happens. His first two shots hit people that were between him and President Reagan. One guy he gets hit in the head, the other guy he gets hit in the neck. Now, they both fall down. Thankfully, they both survive. But now he has a clear shot at the president. And he goes to shoot his third shot. And the Secret Service agent next to the president, of course, hearing those first two, dives and pushes the president down and dives with him into the limousine. And right as he does that, the bullet whizzes over the president's head, barely missing him right where he was standing. At this point, that was just under one second. At this point, the second Secret Service agent, again hearing these things, he turns and he makes himself as big as a target he can as possible between Ronald Reagan and Hinckley. Hinckley fires his fourth shot. He hits that Secret Service agent in the stomach, and he goes down. But President Reagan is still safe. He's protected. At this point, people are starting to bear down on Hinckley. He's starting to get tackled, but he knows he has two more shots left, and so he shoots his fifth shot right as the president is going behind his limousine door, and the shot hits the bulletproof glass of the window right where Ronald Reagan's head is, saving his life. And finally, as a last-ditch effort, he fires one more shot, and this one he gets so lucky because it hits the armor plating on the limousine, bounces off at a weird angle, and hits Ronald Reagan in the armpit. Hinkley hits the ground, officers, Secret Service, even citizens were jumping on top of him. The limousine speeds off, rushes President Reagan to the hospital. The doctors save his life. That is considered to be the most recent, closest assassination attempt in American history on a president since the ones that were previous to Ronald Reagan. And I would bet that Ronald Reagan was glad that weren't just people watching him they were watching over him to protect him. And that's what the, the reassurance that the psalmist gives us here in these two verses. Look, he's not saying there won't be days when the sun is beating down. He's not saying there won't be nights when it's difficult. He says the sun's going to beat down. He says the moon is going to shine. But what he also says is God is your shield at your right hand in those times. Pain might be unavoidable, but God's help is inexhaustible. And so he reassures us that the Lord of creation watches over those people who are his protected. What a beautiful two verses to pray over your kids and your grandkids and your wife. What a beautiful desire for them. What, what a beautiful desire for yourself to be a part of his people, to know that's how God is treating you.
So this older psalmist takes this younger psalmist by the hand and says, hey, let me tell you about this Lord, this Jesus. He watches over his people protectively, but he also watches over his people eternally. Eternally. So he says in the last two verses, the Lord will protect you from evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time and forever. What we need when it comes to protection is not just the idea of something being constant, not just the idea of something being protective, but the idea that that will never go away. And that's what we get from these two verses. That God's protection never fades, never fails, never expires on those who are his. God watches over you eternally over evil, he says, over wickedness. You know, there's a lot of Eastern religions, there's a lot of modern spiritualism that has a belief that good and evil, light and dark, are in balance. But that's not what the Bible says at all. The Bible doesn't say that good and evil are in balance. It says that the Lord is eternally powerful over evil, and wickedness doesn't even stand a chance. Amen. And one day, Jesus is going to return, and he's going to wipe out all the darkness from the earth so his people can live in a land that has no evil and wickedness in it. In fact, he didn't just say that in the New Testament. He said it in chapter 3 of the book of the Bible. Mm -hmm. He tells Adam and Eve, hey, the serpent's going to bruise this guy's heel, but he's going to crush that serpent's head. God is eternally powerful over evil. He's eternally powerful over your soul. You know, we can't control. We know we have a soul, a soul that lasts forever. We can't control what happens to our soul, but what we can do is give it to the Lord. And the reassurance of this passage is that if you give your soul to God, He never lets it go. You don't have to worry about where your soul is going to go after you die. You don't have to worry if at one point you're with God, your soul is protected with God, at one point it's not protected with God. If you place your faith in Jesus forever, your soul is protected with God. And Jesus says, he says, and don't be afraid of those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather feel God who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. As believers in Jesus, we have the reassurance that God has eternal power over our souls. We have the reassurance, he says next, that God has eternal power over space and location. He says when you're going out, when you're coming in, in other words, when you're at home, when you're about, there's no safer at home with God. You're safe everywhere with God. It doesn't matter how high the mountain is. It doesn't matter how low the valley is. God is there watching you. God is powerfully with you. God is there to protect you. That's why the psalmist, which we talked about, said we did this psalm last year, was able to say, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I send to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in shield, behold, you're there. If I take up in the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the motest parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. It doesn't matter where you go. God is eternally powerful over every place your foot can tread. He's eternally powerful over evil, over your soul, over space, and over time. That's from this time forward and forevermore. Like I said, this last part, to me, is the most reassuring. Because we need to know that not only God is watching us constantly, watching us protectively, but he's going to watch us forever. And that he, his protection won't fade, it won't fall apart, and it won't expire. And that's the reassurance of this passage. When we had kids, I learned something new 
about car seats, and that is that they have expiration dates. Did you guys know that? I didn't know that until I had kids. They had, I thought expiration dates were only for food and for perishable items. So the first time I heard that a car seat has an expiration date, I went, why? In my head, I'm having this picture of board members at like Graco going, hey, look, I put this expiration date on here as a joke, and then people are taking it seriously. They're throwing these things away and buying new ones. That's what I'm having in my head. I'm like, what? How, is it a, how does a metal and plastic car seat need to expire when it looks perfectly good? And then I learned why. Everything in this world deteriorates. Nothing in this world lasts forever, and that includes car seats. So when you buy a car seat, which is something meant to protect somebody, it does a good job of that. But it can't do that forever. Eventually, through the heat and through the wear, through the tear, the metal and the plastic, and all that stuff begins to get stretched, it begins to get fractured, it can begin to mess up. And the thing that you're expecting to protect your kid can actually become where it's not providing protection any longer. His protection has expired. That's the problem with every source of security, safety, and protection in this world. Because nothing in this world we can trust to last forever. It doesn't matter if it's an object, it's not going to last forever. It doesn't matter if you put up barriers and walls, they're going to eventually fall down. It doesn't even matter if it's people that you're putting your safety in. People still fall away. Everything in this world is like wisps of dust in time. It all eventually expire. The only thing that doesn't expire is God's watch care over his people. Amen. That will never go away on you. Mm-hmm. And so if God's watch care never expires, why would you put your safety in anything else in this life? Why would you trust anything else? So the psalm teaches us to trust that the God of creation is watching over those people who are his, watching over them constantly, watching over them protectively, watching over them eternally. In the next few moments, we'll pray, and I'll give you a chance to respond to that. And maybe you're here today, and um, you're like the psalmist in verses 1 through 2, where you need it. You have stuff going on. You have worries and cares. And what you need to do today is to take the theology that's in your head and move it to your heart. Give your burdens to God. The seats are open. This altar. I'm up here if you want me to pray for you. Or maybe you want to pray Psalm 121 over your family. This is a wonderful psalm to pray for your family. And what a great time to come up to these seats and come up to the chair. Get me to pray this psalm as a, as a psalm of protection over your family. But I especially want to talk to you if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus. This is a wonderful, encouraging song. But it's only true for you personally if you are a part of God's people. Do you belong to God? You do that by repenting of your sins and placing your faith in Jesus. Have you done that? Come talk to me. I'd love, I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to put you in, like, in a spot. I just want to talk to you and help you find the God to be a part of his people, a part of his family, so you can know that this song applies to you. Let's pray.